It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That crazy starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Yeah. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a machine, listen to yourself, the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Speed it up and I repeat, got no seats, the ladder, put the ladder with the fear, fight down, hide, fire in the fire, with the system of the gang, the government for hiring the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, leave the jury, it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. That's right, the end of the world. This is the hour of doom. Nope, it's the hour of bloom. Oh. Or, or maybe doom and bloom. Aha, uh-huh. doom <laughs> and bloom. Absolutely, friends and neighbors, welcome to the doom and bloom survival medicine hour, a cauldron of conservation in a cacophonous world. <laughs> I'm Joe Halton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. That's right. And together we are the beauty and the beast. <laughs> and two guesses who's the beauty you are. Oh, you're so sweet. beautiful. Uh, we are the spectacular spouses and the masters of disaster. And we're here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a churlish chipmunk, well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. You know, Ah. I've almost been saying that for eight years. And you you still believe it? I do. Well, there you go. All right. <laughs> Next month, I think October, the end of October. Yep. Will be eight years. Love We've been doing this. Sure, sure. Every enough. week. Wow. Every. That's a lot week. of podcasts. Absolutely. Even when we're away, you you have us do it in hotel rooms. <laughs> yes, it's very. We've even done it internationally. Very unreasonable. Yes, we we done have it done from it England, from France, oh, yeah, from all sorts of places. Lots of places. Germany. That's right. <laughs> That's well, so funny. medical care, yes, modern medical care is what you should seek if it's available. It is the bomb, but when somebody drops the bomb mm-hmm. and you know you know what hits the fan, well, somebody's got to be ready to be the chosen one when it comes to keeping their people healthy in times of trouble. And well, 
guess what? That someone might end up being you. So show the world you got more sense than a carload of cattails and get some training <laughs> and education. And while you're at it, how about some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? And what better place to get it than you know who over here, Nurse Amy's oh, entire line you. of often imitated but never equal medical kits. That's store. Grab and go medical kits. That's right. Store at doombloom.net. As a matter of fact, now we also have trademarked our grab and go line yes. of medical kits. And so they'll help you grab and go and deal with medical issues that you'd face in any disaster. Quickly with the best quality. That's right. It'll make your work. Most important. That's right. You should make your workplace, your school, your church much safer. By getting some of these kits, they're designed by a real-life real medical doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Just compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, please, and you'll agree our kits are the ones that you should have in your medical storage. Don't take our word for it. Check out our testimonials page at store.doomandbloom.net and see what folks like you have to say about not only our medical kits, but our service. On top of all that, our kits are approved for your health or flexible savings account. Just let us know you need the paperwork, and we'll do whatever it takes to get you medically prepared. I have a perfect form. It has never failed. You do have a perfect the, form. The... I just look at you and I say, <laughs> wow, what a perfect no, form. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a receipt, darling. Oh, that's very that's A different. special receipt with all the information that the FSA or HSA would like to have. All right, awesome. Well, there you go. Guys and gals, do not forget to take advantage of that. Hey, we learn as much from you as you do from us. Painfully obvious. So say it, <laughs> spray it. I don't care how you do it. We're not picky. Just connect with us. It's easy. And here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. Yes, email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. Probably the the easiest one page on Facebook, if you had to pick one, as far as following and subscribing, would be Doom and Bloom. That's central. There's also a Joe Alton, by the way. I don't think we ever mentioned that. Yeah, you can that. friend me personally. Yeah. Sure. I like friends. <laughs> I got a few. They're so cute. Not, not enough. I like friends. Not enough. I don't have a Facebook page, though. You we have, just use it all together. I know, but your picture Joe is Al on mine, so. Joe Alton is actually Joe Alton and Amy Alton. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> just so you guys know, let's see, uh, Twitter, at Prepper Show. I do have an Instagram, Doom and Bloom Medical. I just have to think you gotta of do, put some pictures on things. it. I you have all that oh, stuff from Yellowstone. Oh, I think we Yellow talked Stone. about this last week. I know. We keep forgetting. Aye. All right. Well, we got to do that. If I had my phone in my hand, I could put one up right now. Oh, well, I could you, do one every three hours. Well, this at, is at, with how many yep. pictures we have. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> of actually, course, you guys will think we're in Yellowstone right now. Yeah. Say, oh, look at the pretty waterfalls. We just walked by. We didn't have phone service a lot in no. Yellowstone. No, we didn't. We that were was out. We were on the mountains crazy. a lot. We were out in the mountains a lot and on the trail. Yeah, they so. don't have a lot of satellites up in Yellowstone. No, <laughs> they do have a lot. A tower, satellite towers, yeah. I should say. They have a lot of geysers and stuff like that. Boy, you know that there's a lot of activity going on under the ground there. Yeah, and if we saw something Yeesh. start to happen, we wouldn't have been able to alert anyone. Well, it wouldn't we have all mattered. Just, we it would, would not have mattered It would all just point. start screaming and nobody would hear us. 
<laughs> we'd be vaporized in an instant. I don't think we would suffer. At least. Well, I don't think that would happen instantly. I think there's going to be a lot of rumbling that happens yes, before Yellowstone. I believe, I believe that through. There were earthquakes while we were there because yep. we saw them on a webpage. Right, GPS. Had all of the, the geolo- monitor. U.S. Geologic Survey. Oh, yeah, they have a lot of different monitors yeah. located all over Yellowstone. Right. But we saw that there were several little earthquakes, but we didn't feel them. No. They're too small to feel. But there's movement going on. A lot of stuff going on down there. Woo-hoo! Hey, don't forget our YouTube channel at Dr. Bones Nurse Amy and... Also, we also have another podcast called American Survival Radio. You can find that on a number of land-based radio stations throughout the U.S. of A. Current events. Uh, don't forget about KYAH Radio, which actually carries this podcast, the Survival Medicine Hour, in this great state of Utah. Hey, this I don't is... think you mentioned the name of that other radio show that we do. Oh, American Survival Radio. I did not. No, no kidding. Okay, I don't think well, you have it. American Survival Radio is current events. And not much medicine there, so if you're here for the medical stuff, then you no. came to the right place. And today we're going to have to talk about Kavanaugh and oh my gosh, so much craziness. Oh, and poor Burt Reynolds passed away. Oh, I'm that's sorry. right. Yeah, Smokey and the Bandit. I grew up in the 70s, and he was just a big part of what was on television. And it was kind of family friendly, you know. Yeah. My parents no, were he was super good. careful about what I was exposed to. My gosh, my mother was like, if she could have put a bubble around me, she would have. Thankfully, I was able to go out when I, we lived in Georgia on my motorcycle, and yeah. <laughs> my my yes. brother and I would climb trees, fall out sometimes. Yeah, so we had a protective, we had a motorcycle. She, and well, climbing she, trees. If she could have been with us, she would have. Liked it, but, but we were told when we went out, be home as the sun comes down. Right. And sure enough, we'd see the sun coming down, and we'd just haul butt back to the house <laughs> and run in just in time. Well, it sounds like a pretty nice childhood. It was fun. There it was a go. lot of fun. We were a little crazy. Well, you know what? This is actually a holiday. Or actually, the whole month is a holiday, and that holiday is... National Preparedness Month. That's right. It's amazing they have a National Preparedness Month. Sure enough, the government wants you to be prepared for disasters. And uh, they decided to make a National Preparedness Month starting in 2004. And it's observed every September in the United States of America. It's sponsored by the Federal Emergency Management Agency within the Department of Homeland Security. And its basic purpose is to encourage Americans to plan and take steps to prepare for emergencies in their homes, That's their sponsored businesses, by schools. FEMA, actually, yeah. mm-hmm. which is in the right. Department of the Homeland Federal Security. Emergency Management Agency. Right, absolutely, and and in their communities. Uh, September was chosen as National Preparedness Month uh, because of the of tragedies course. of 9/11, absolutely, 2001, and it just highlighted to the nation the importance of being prepared. And of course, right. September is a big hurricane month, you know, so. <sighs> I guess that's probably we another have good reason. We have currently Florence is Hurricane already named. Florence. I know. might hit the Carolinas, they say. Yeah, it's kind of going north, so it's not going to hit us in South Florida. But, you know, there there, there are chances that it's going to hit somewhere further up the eastern coast. There's, I think, a couple other disturbances behind that. There was one. Now I think there's a second one. No oh boy. And apparently there's stuff going over in the Pacific, too, going on over there. I, ha- I haven't actually cookie. looked at a weather map, but I just heard that on the, the weather 
news that that's what's happening. So, an active and, hurricane season. And a bunch of fires, more fires in California. Oh, yes, that's right. 16, 16 yes, they mentioned. One of them tripled last night called the Delta. The Delta. Delta, Delta fire, right, the right Delta at the border. Or a Delta. Right, the border between uh, California and Oregon. 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 <laughs> they've got a lot of they've got a lot of forest there, and sure enough, wow. They have forest that they uh, use for lumber. So this is really good, sturdy, tall, dense forest. This is not wood that's spread out that you can walk through easily. When they replant these mountains after they clear them they pack it in we saw this yes. when we've been we drove driving through oregon oregon there's probably not a speck of sunlight that reaches the the floor of these forests as they get really mature right. and i think it's hitting mature and you know the canopies are touching each other so yeah that that fire oh, this is, is just like kooky. matchsticks right. lined up is really what right. it is you think exactly. about it, just a mountain full of matchsticks yep tripled in size zero percent contained we'll have to see how things oh so scary they have got, shut they have down terrible wildfire shut season. down the biggest highway i-5 in the united states yep the biggest highway in the united states i-5 is shut down well, there's no way to get through. There well, is like, a detour. Uh-huh. They had a trucker on that said it's a 55-minute treacherous detour. Treacherous. Oh, well, yes. I don't like that. I know. Well, Especially for trucks. But That's not I'm a problem sorry. here. Rains I'm every day sorry. at 3. Yeah, I'm yeah, sorry, folks. Much. That's really, really awful and very, very scary. And we've talked to check out some of our previous podcasts uh, this summer. We've talked about wildfires a few times. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact. And you have articles That's right. up to read. Yep. Doomandbloom.net. Just check it out. Oh, I wanted to talk a little bit. Last week, we talked about expiration dates. And I just wanted to mention, uh, if I know I'm, I probably mentioned it last week, but I want to repeat this because this is mm-hmm. very important. Uh, you must store medications in order for them to retain their potency and to stay safe. You want to have them be stored properly. And there are three factors that are involved with that. That is heat, humidity, and light. So you got to make certain that your supplies are stored in a cool, a dry, and a dark place. And this is so important that it really changes the effective life of the drug. Usually, it's an inverse relationship to the temperature it's stored at. So in other words, a a drug that's stored at 50 degrees Fahrenheit will last longer than one that's uh, maybe twice as long, I think, than one stored at 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. Now, I will say, having said that, don't freeze your drugs in general. It's not necessary to do so unless it says so on the package. And sometimes that it decreases the effectiveness. So right. you definitely it don't want to It changes the consistency. Exactly right. Of the chemicals, some of them. And they that's why they have a temperature range. Otherwise, it would be store at 70 or below, you know, if, yep. it, if it was okay to store at any temperature. They don't want these things frozen. So I'm glad you did mention that. Right. So remember, light uh, can damage the activity of certain drugs. So use smoky containers, opaque containers, um, you know, those brown bottles. That, that's why all those amber-colored bottles, are, you see them in, uh, in a lot of medicines, they, even uh, natural Medicines and most of your essential oils come in brown bottles, I think. Right? Yes, of course. Yep. There you go. Dark amber bottles. Right. So, you know, do that. Place them in a dark place if you're going to store them long term. Remember, humidity will affect the medications. So, be, 
I would say to take them out of your medicine cabinet in your bathroom because that's pretty humid in there. Yeah, that's, that's and, the worst place to store medicine. Right. It's funny. That's where we all kind of grew up because there's a medicine cabinet, cabinet in the bathroom, in, yeah. which there should not be. You should have a medicine cabinet in your closet. Because there's probably not a lot of humidity that is in your clothes That makes closet. a lot of sense, doesn't it? That's where that should be. Why don't they do that? Not in your bathroom. Well, it was just people grew up. They didn't know. They hadn't done research on what degraded. and They didn't grow up with a whole lot of medicines. Exactly you know, right. Pe- people didn't have as many pills and and remedies for every single little thing. Well, they had natural remedies and like dried herbs and they powders. Did. And the truth of the matter is, is those really have to stay dry because they can <laughs> form sure. mold, mildew, all sorts of stuff. Well, it was somebody's brilliant idea to put a medicine cabinet in, in a bathroom, and it just stuck and nobody thought otherwise. I don't think they build a lot of medicine cabinets anymore. No, I, we don't have it in all of our bathrooms. We have one or two, right? None. Oh, wait, two. yes. We have two. We have two? Is it yeah. two or one? We have two two medicine cabinets. Uh, uh, one, yeah, one in the back and one in the middle here. One in Stephanie's room. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, no, this Stephanie's is probably... Stephanie's room I built in. This no, is probably in. not the most interesting topic for well, our audience, so let's talk a little bit about... You know what? That's a window into our lives, yes, folks. a window. That's all, <laughs> you, that's all you need. We well, have... We have boring conversations about how many medicine cabinets right. we may or may not have. <laughs> Our lives are so exciting, honey. People ask me if you want, if you should vacuum pack oh, medicines. And okay, when you're done with that, I have I, something to add about medicine. Okay, well, vacuum packing medicines will extend, is probably not a bad idea to extend shelf life, especially for powdered medicines like the uh, fish doxycycline. That would pro- might not be a bad idea. Dried mm-hmm. herbs. Probably a good idea as well. So that's something else. That's what I do. do. I vacuum pack them. All right, good for you. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure there's other brands, but I use a food saver. So these are things. Easy. So remember, um, keep them out of sunlight, keep them dry, and keep them cool, if if you can at all, if at all possible. Okay. Yes. One more thing. Yes. What? I'm going to reiterate something you did say last week because I know you said it. Is that these medicines do not turn poisonous. You did mention something that had happened in the 60s about tetracycline. Yes. But other than that, those few incidents. They lose potency, but they don't. They will not turn poisonous. Right. That you are not going to die from taking something that's old. Now, I will say if aspirin smells funny like vinegar... Use it to keep your your flowers fresh when you cut your flowers. I have a bottle of aspirin that I'm not even sure how old it is. I think I had it. <laughs> I think I had it before 1987. Oh my god! What is it? Aspirin? Yes. Well, aspirin. A is of actually, aspirin. interesting enough. You know what aspirin, I'm talking about? Yes. Because it's in the kitchen where we yep. put have the flowers. You can tell where. Uh, when aspirin goes bad, usually because it uh, puts off an ammonia kind of yeah, smell. Yeah, that's what that smells like. That's right. So That's that's, a, that's the exact aspirin that we use when you buy me flowers. There you go. Right. And we cut the ends off and uh-huh, put a right, couple right. of the aspirins right. on the yep, bottom of the, the water. Keeps the flowers fresh a little longer. Because I it's an why. anticoagulant. Oh, there you go. 
So it keeps the, keeps the water flowing, flowing up through the, the stems. Yeah. Yep. Into the pretty flowers. How about that? I hope you might not have known that out there. So use your old old aspirin for that. Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, diseases, uh, infectious diseases. We we have a book that we're now in some of the last stages of tweaking. Oh my and gosh, it's you've going been to be, working so hard. It's going to be on um, bacterial disease and the antibiotics that treat them, especially the antibiotics that you can obtain through uh, veterinary equivalents. So I think this is going to be... Dosages, uh, right. how much to take for each right. And disease, it, right? and talks side effects. It talks a lot about infectious disease in yep. general. So it's a good primer on infectious disease and a selected number of antibiotics because I'm concentrating on the ones on the ones you can acquire you can right, possibly without acquire for your medical storage exactly so, so that is what the deal is and and it's there to deal with issues in times of trouble so when modern modern medicine is just not available that's right now there are all sorts of disease outbreaks I want to talk about the the types of disease outbreaks. There's an endemic disease, there's an epidemic disease, and there's a pandemic disease. Now, an endemic disease is one that's usually found very regularly among a particular people in a certain area. For example, if you lived in a tropical country, then malaria would be an infectious disease that's endemic there. In other words, it doesn't have a particular season. It's regularly found in those climates, and you can expect to be hearing reports of malaria coming in if you work in the local emergency room. Uh, an epidemic disease, now that is a rapid widespread occurrence of an infectious disease in a community that's not endemic. In other words, that's not there in a, a population all the time. So influenza would be an epidemic disease. It isn't always raging in a particular area, right. but arrives sort of suddenly, usually, and mm -hmm. periodically, seasonally in this case. Right. Right? Makes sense. And a pandemic occurs when that epidemic, when an infectious disease, runs rampant throughout large region, regions. Uh, in the case of the Spanish flu in 2018, that was a huge pandemic. The entire world was affected over 100,000 people. No, you said 2018. Did I say 2018? You did. <laughs> well, right I meant, now, everyone run for the hills. I meant 1918. The, the Spanish flu <laughs> is here. <laughs> the sad thing. Just kidding. The sad thing for the Spaniards is that it actually it wasn't their fault. Didn't originate in Spain. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, it's just a nickname that can never be lost. That's right. Well, I want to talk a little bit about some diseases, infectious diseases that we talk about in the book. And these are diseases that can cause, indeed, epidemics and pandemics. And uh, these things are things that happen not uncommonly. I right. mean, you know, the pandemics of various severities occur about three to four times a century, according to Wikipedia. But the truth of the matter is we've had a couple of pandemics yeah. just in the last few years. Absolutely. Of course, nothing has been as noteworthy as the Spanish flu of 100 years ago or... Uh, the Black Death of the Middle Ages, but mm -hmm. uh, infectious disease is still with us. Uh, luckily, modern medicine has greatly decreased the effect of infectious we've disease, recent, bacterial disease. We've disease. recently had some problems with Ebola again. That's right. Yes, that's right. They've found some uh, Ebola cases in the original area of the Congo where they first found Ebola. <sighs> In 1975. What do they need to get rid of? Oh, no, actually, it was earlier than that. Okay, to but, stop this. It, they thought it came from bats originally, remember? Yes, the natural reservoir, I think, are bats. And, of course, bats have 
droppings. Uh, their bat droppings are called guano. And uh, you can have just about anything wind up getting contaminated with these bat droppings. Yeah. So the monkeys in the area were contaminated, even antelope food that eat sources, grass. Food yep. sources for these people. And, and these if they are, don't, right. didn't cook them well enough, right. I think that's how they figured out they probably... Right. transmitted it into humans. Right. As a matter of fact, I have a picture uh, in our Ebola book that we uh, wrote and published in 2014 of somebody cooking bats Ugh. over a 55-gallon drum. That was, like, rusted fire. and gross. Yeah. So probably not thoroughly cooked in that case. No, and I, I believe and that certainly not evenly cooked. We did find out that they don't like to overcook them anyway. Oh, they yes. They prefer them. It's like someone ordering a medium rare steak here. They order their bat medium rare. <laughs> I don't I, I just I think it's great. I mean the taste is great, but I think it's always You don't so know much you've safer. never had bat. Uh, no, I'm not bat. I'm talking about rare. Oh. <laughs> Rarely cooked about, things. You order your bat your extra, medium rare. <laughs> you like things extra rare. I always wonder if there's a bug in there or something oh, like that. Oh, stop it. You know what I'm saying? I do I order know. my steaks medium rare. Yes, you do. Well, I my, do. A lot of people. And a lot and of people do. And you don't. And I don't. I'm, I'm usually a medium kind of guy. So, well. Medium well. You like it medium well. Well, not too. It just depends. Don't say that. People will say, oh, this guy is not a gourmet. You just said because. <laughs> and I'm not, the honestly. The thing so. is, you're a doctor, and we think about things a little bit differently when you're in the medical field. I, I look at a bathroom, a public bathroom, and I immediately think, disgusting. <laughs> I don't care how clean that it appears. I know that probably the whoever is responsible for cleaning that bathroom is doing the absolute minimum. They aren't getting up underneath the toilet seat or underneath the rim. They're probably not wiping behind the toilet. Probably never clean the door handles or the sink handles. So I don't care how clean it appears. I'm seeing a filthy, disgusting bathroom. So I want my hands covered with paper towels with whatever I touch, right. <laughs> whatever part of me touches something else needs to have some paper protection at least. <laughs> and I'm using a clean paper towel to touch that door handle on my way out of that bathroom. Right. That I think I don't is know so people smart. even wash their hands. Yeah. Well, that is Let very, very smart. Folks a, a cleaning it right. Good percentage of people don't wash their hands after they use the bathroom. And sure enough, they touch the door handles, and so that's always a good policy. You can probably decrease the number of times you get sick uh, on a yearly basis by simply doing that one thing. Just use a paper towel, whatever paper towels they have there, to grab the handle. And open of, the door. Open the if door. If there's a garbage outside, you can dispose of it. Otherwise, just put it in your pocket till you find a garbage can. Or I, I, Sometimes I crumple it up and put it in my purse. Until I find a garbage can. That's why most of the modern uh, places, uh, airports and things like that, they don't have a door to the bathroom. Right. You just walk in and out so that way nobody's touching a, a I door I like handle. that. That's right. Well, let's talk a, a little bit about some of the various diseases that we talk about You know what I need book. to do? These I, are... I need to carry a little bottle of Lysol with me. You should <laughs> Germaphobes do, you know the, and you know so why little, not? You know they the have, little... Yeah, they're um, little squirty bottles, yeah. Yeah. Tiny, tiny, they can be like tiny. Like a small one. Yeah. Well, then you would probably feel much better. Like much that better. fabric freshener. What's that called? Febreze. Febreze. They, yeah. That size. The, yep. li the little mm -hmm. travel size. That would be a good idea, I think. I gotta look for Lysol in that size. I'll just spray everything as I walk in. <laughs> 
<laughs> spray everybody too because everybody's got a lot of germs. I'm sorry, you smell dirty. <laughs> oh God, I'll probably get arrested. <laughs> I need that in airplanes sometimes. Assault by Lysol. Oh, my gosh. People walk on planes, and it looks like they haven't cleaned themselves in forever, and they stink as they walk by. We've seen those people. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I feel so bad for whoever they're sitting next to. Yeah. Or then there's the over-perfumed person that's always so lovely to be sitting nearby. Uh, Well, you know, we're just sort of natural folk, and so, you know, stay clean and... Yeah. Stay natural. All right, so let me talk a little bit about <laughs> Let me get to the subject at hand, please. <laughs> Thank you, dear. Hey, we're you having can, fun. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, anyhow, we want to talk a little bit about uh, some diseases that are likely to be major issues and possibly epidemic diseases in times of trouble. And one of them is tuberculosis. Uh, tuberculosis is an infection of the lungs and other organs caused by mycobacteria. That's a specific type of bacteria that causes a number of different kinds of infections. Mm-hmm. Now, tuberculosis is so common in certain regions of the world that it's considered to be endemic. So in India and some other places, it is just always there. Mm-hmm. And you're always going to see a number of people in the old days, the Europeans had that too, was a lot. And lately, the thing with tuberculosis, there are a number of variants that are appearing that seem to be very resistant to all the currently available antibiotics, so much so that they have their own name. They call them MDR, multiple drug resistant tuberculosis. And these are tough to actually. Terrible. Yes, actually very, very difficult to get rid of. With tuberculosis, things that you see would be a chronic cough, a bloody phlegm. In other words, when you cough up uh, blood, you're coughing, uh, coughing up some phlegm, you're coughing up some blood as well. That is, has a medical name called hemoptysis, but you don't need to know that. You just need to know the signs are bloody phlegm and chronic cough. But unfortunately, tuberculosis is not just a lung disease. It can damage all sorts of different organs, even damages female organs. I've actually seen tuberculosis in the female uterus uh, during surgical procedures. And so this is something that is a major issue. As a matter of fact, I always tell the story that I myself turned positive for tuberculosis working in the emergency room uh, in Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami during the Mariel boat lift in 1980. And so these things are pretty scary. And the problem with that... But you took medicine. Right. And the problem with that medicine... And you didn't develop active... Active tuberculosis. Yes. Latent tuberculosis. Knock on wood. Knock on wood. But the problem (laughs) is that even mild tuberculosis requires... or inactive tuberculosis requires this combination antibiotic therapy. I had to take three different antibiotics for like six months. And that's something that, well, let's face it, that's not going to be an option for you, or at least in in the typical survival medicine cabinet. So this is a major problem, and it is going to be something that uh, is going to kill a lot of people. As a matter of fact, the problem, the thing with tuberculosis is that tuberculosis basically causes you this to have this significant weight loss. You cannot, cannot gain weight and you continually lose weight. Matter of fact, can I get that for they, like a month? Well, <laughs> I don't think you want that because it would come along with some bloody 
sample him. I'll deal with it. Just so hacking, was, hacking. You're, you're just hacking so unintended much. Unintended weight loss right. sounds like an awesome thing for just a month. Well, it was so bad that Only they actually. Only a month, though. It was so bad they actually called the disease consumption right. because it seemed to be consuming the person, and so that is one of the diseases. Uh, of course, there's plague. Uh, the plague was once called the Black Death. That's a disease that you. Most people think, well, we've eradicated that. Well, you haven't. As a matter of fact, not only has it not been eradicated, but it is something that even shows up in the United States on a yearly basis, or at least a half a dozen cases in the United States every year, mostly mm-hmm. in the western part of the country. Plague is caused by a bacteria called Yersinia pestis, and it's found in fleas that infest rats and other rodents. So wherever there are rats and other rodents, well you can have fleas that could give you the plague. And they basically jump off the rat and uh, and bite you. Uh, different forms of plague can be spread uh, by different ma- manners. Uh, let's see, by the air, uh, by direct contact, or by contaminated water or food. And, and the symptoms of the plague depend on the type. There's bubonic plague, the one that's most famous, the most common one that... Uh, devastated Europe in the 1300s and 1400s. That causes uh, symptoms that look like the flu. It starts off looking like the flu, but it infects the lymph nodes, the um, parts of your body that drain inflammation from places. And what happens is it causes them to swell and accumulate bacteria, blood, pus, and, and become lumps. And these lumps are known as buboes, B-U-B-O-E-S, and they're sort of blackish in color, and you'll see them in the armpits and in the groin area. You know what? It's going to be interesting is to find out what sickened those folks on the plane that they just kept on the tarmac. Oh yes, that there, landed internationally. Yes, there was a plane that in which there were was well. A, a 19, first, they came there, out and said it was a hundred. Hundred people that got sick. But sicked. no, it wasn't a hundred. Apparently, it was. 19. That's still a lot of people get sick on a flight. 11 went to the hospital, and 7 or 8 were just sick, and I guess they were treated, like, on the tarmac. They were... It was an interesting thing. Well, first of all, would you like to be trapped on a plane with a bunch of sick people? Not me. No. (laughs) Sir, if that happens... Get your nose and mouth covered as fast as possible and don't touch anything. Right. Just anything. Put... If you have a cotton T-shirt or even just your shirt, get it up over your face so you're not... Whatever you are breathing is a little bit filtered. Well, these um, people came from... But you're stuck on this plane. They came from the Middle East somewhere because it was a, uh, a Arab Emirates Airlines I had my computer. Flight. I'd look it up. And But that was a very interesting thing. They had, I think it was a fever... Mm-hmm. And a cough, right? And I think some people had vomiting, which right. is oh so wonderful to listen to when they've told you you're now in quarantine and you hear someone vomiting. I know they kept the plane on the tarmac for quite oh. a period of time until they try could figure out what to do I, with these people. I have, I have, and they're to right say to this. do so. I would absolutely fake a heart attack. I would fake a heart attack to get the hell off that plane. I would, <laughs> I would absolutely, I would start saying, I'm dying, I can't breathe, I'm having crushing chest pain, if you don't take me off this plane, I'm going to die. I would 100% fake a heart attack, and folks, if you're listening to me and that happens to you, 
feel free to fake a heart attack because they're going to take you out in an ambulance and put you in a hospital away from these people. And even when they find out you're not having a heart attack, you say, oh, well, it must have been terrible heartburn or stress or anxiety attack, whatever. At least you'll be away from those folks. Yep. There is no way I would stay trapped in a, in a plane with a bunch of sick people. I'm bad enough if they wait 10 minutes to take off. Or, or if they say, remember we, last time we got home, they were having mechanical problems. Oh, and we yeah. we sat there. Oh, gosh. That's right. so, so much fun. Yeah, but I anyway, it's going to be very interesting to find out if they tell us what was going on with these folks. What do these people happen to all be sick at the same time? It was a large plane full of a lot of people. Well, so, I would a think two decker uh, plane, by the way. The funny thing is, floors. although I'm not sure that it would involve a great deal of coughing, certainly anybody who had gastrointestinal symptoms, if a bunch of people had that at one time, mm-hmm. probably was related to the meals that they were served. Mm-hmm. And norovirus, N-O-R-O virus, is one of the most common uh, sort of mass infect- mass infection, people getting sick right away mm-hmm. kind of viruses. You see them on cruise ships. Whenever you hear about cruise ships uh, having 100 people that that's wind up getting sick, things. that's one of the probable reasons that right. people got sick. So it might be something like that, but it's hard to say. Or I, maybe it was just a coincidence that some people happened to have been sick before they got on the plane and exhibited the symptoms. I think it was a 14-hour flight. Yes. That's what I read. It was well, a four, That's a long time. If you've, You probably had something incubating, and it just right. came to fruition well, that's what I'm on saying. the flight. I'm pretty sure Weird. that, yeah, I'm pretty sure that they also wound up getting fed meals and if there was Could be. if those meals were infected well that's it now i'll tell you what they didn't have yes what did the they plague have? which is what we're supposed to be talking thank about thank goodness <laughs> but i just thought that was interesting because it's you know it was some recent event that was kind of an unknown sickness outbreak you know, yes. it'd be interesting yes. to find out i, Absolutely. I think well anyhow uh, bubonic plague lasts probably about a week to 10 days before you die of it but luckily it can be treated with antibiotics as long as you get it treated quickly and now so will that carrier one pneumonic plague is the one that infects the lungs and in that one you begin to vomit and cough up blood mm-hmm. as we as you would with um, tuberculosis but you do it in a volume in, in pretty significant volume you develop shortness of breath and you may die within 48 hours in that circumstance. It takes about 12 hours to wind up showing pretty major signs of sickness with pneumonic plague, with really bad case of plague. Mm-hmm. There's also another kind of plague, a little less commonly uh, talked about, is septic, septicemic plague, when plague invades the blood. Uh, and that can happen when uh, the, these buboes burst. You wind up having uh, some of the bacteria go into the bloodstream or directly enter the body through, let's say, if there was an open wound, well, you got fever, you got other general symptoms like the other ones, uh, they actually have an issue in which the blood fails to clot. And that's called DIC, disseminated intravascular coagulation. Just think of it as DIC. Which we have actually seen yep. more times than I want to count is a problem towards the end of pregnancy. And yes. it's usually with very high blood pressures. Absolutely. A right. lot of swelling. Yes. And 
you know, and sort of an end stage of that whole detailed problem, right. which we don't need to go into. And what the risk is this DIC. Right. And the risk. We've seen this. And the risk of that is you just start bleeding all over the place. From everywhere. Spontaneously, uh, unstoppably, you bleed in your skin. You can bleed from your nose, from your eyes, oh. from your ears. Gosh, uh, you bleed into your lungs, your kidneys, other organs. Well, remember you know. the blood transfusions these patients needed? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And Thank goodness for modern medicine. And clotting factors, too. They have to actually give them blood clotting factors, oh. which it takes, I think, something like seven or ten or maybe more units of whole blood to get one unit of clotting factors. So it's pretty, pretty crazy. We just pretty crazy run stuff. back and forth to the blood bank. That's right. To the operating room, from the blood bank to the operating room. We need more blood. We need more blood. Now, <laughs> this is something, as I said, you can treat if you get it early. If you have doxycycline, tetracycline, or Cipro, uh, all of these uh, come in uh, veterinary equivalents. Fish doxy or bird biotic is doxycycline. Fish cycling is tetracycline. Cipro, uh, fish flocks is ciprofloxacin. If you detect it very early, you might be able to deal with it. By the way, to prevent this, you should rodent-proof your house. And you can go on doomandbloom.net and see some of my articles on how to do that, how to identify rodents and how to rodent-proof. that we have uh-huh. never had a rodent in our house. I have. Not in, in this house. Not in this not... house, but many years ago when I was... <laughs> Just uh, out of college, we had a, an old house, old house, and we had in the walls uh, a number of rats. And rats, you could always tell when you have rats because they, they you, scritch and scratch. Okay, well, scritchy, scratchy, I scritchy on the walls. I can assure you that had I been your wife at the time, that I would not be living in that house five well, minutes later. Oh, you would have been. Freak, no. You would freak you out, especially at night when they no, do it. No, <laughs> you don't understand. We would have moved. It took us a while to get rid of to it, Immediately to a too. Holiday Inn or something. It, I don't care. Yeah, it took us a good while to, to get rid of it. I'll okay, tell you, no. tell you that much. No, 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 no. Well, let's see. Um, Homie, don't play that game. <laughs> talk a little bit more about, let's see, I, I have a lot of uh, viral diseases here, but we're talking about bacterial diseases because that's going to be the, the topic of our book that's coming out. Uh, leprosy, that's one. Now, they don't call leprosy leprosy anymore because of course there's a stigma related to it and it's not uh pc politically correct they call it hansen's disease after a dr hansen h-a-n-s-e-n and uh, leprosy is a chronic condition it's caused by a bacterium another mycobacterium like the like the bacterium that causes tuberculosis mycobacterium lepri and it's the second most common infectious disease caused by mycobacteria after tuberculosis. Now, despite victims being cast out of society in the past, that is the funny thing is leprosy is really not all that contagious. I mean, you can catch it only if you come in frequent contact with air droplets from coughs and sneezes from a infected person. Don't call them lepers. That is also not politically correct these days. Sufferers from Hansen's disease. Uh, leprosy also uh, infects the skin. It affects nerves and organs. It causes loss of sensation, muscle weakness, and paralysis. And so what happens is, is the damage, you, you lose sensation, you, your muscles atrophy, you know, they, they become weak, and you get these striking skin deformities, and eventually fingers, toes, your nose may actually fall off. And uh, 
because they become necrosed. In other words, they die due to lack of circulation and, and lack of innervation. So they, it causes a, a very striking appearance. Now, leprosy can be treated with antibiotics as well, usually long-term. It's not an easy pro proposition. It would bankrupt the medical supplies of a group in survival settings. So believe it or not, in survival settings, you may see people with Hansen's, Hansen's disease cast out from society again, which I think is pretty amazing. So I, I think that there are a lot of diseases that are going to be big issues. Many of them are going to be viral diseases, but some will be bacterial. And you've got to be able to deal with people who are sick. I mean, in good times, you have the luxury of modern medical facilities and you know, all these advanced techniques to isolate a sick people, a sick person from healthy family members. But if you ever find yourself in the off the grid, well, most of those advantages are going to go the way the, of the dinosaur, and you're going to be placed in essentially the same medical environment that you were in, that we were in in the 19th century. I mean, we do have the benefit of knowledge, though. I mean, we are aware these days of the way contagious diseases are spread. We know how to sterilize supplies, so we do have a head start on our ancestors. And if we use this knowledge, it should be possible for people that are medically prepared to put together a reasonable sick room or hospital tent that will minimize the chance of infectious disease running rampant throughout the family or the, or the survival group or the community. It's important to always care effectively for the sick person while keeping the healthy people out of the reach of these contagious diseases. Now, in the face of a catastrophe, you're going to have to quickly make the decision to either stay in place or get out of Dodge. So if you're staying in place, you're going to have to choose a room where the sick people are going to be cared for. And that room should be far from common areas. Uh, you know, stay away from a room that's near the kitchen or a family room or wherever people congregate, that's not what you want. You want a room at one side of the house that's not right there where everybody hangs out. You, that room has to have good ventilation and light. Yeah, you want people to get you know fresh air and things like that. And it should have a door that you can close. That's very important. There has to be a barrier. So that's something that's very important. If you're leaving the area, then you should have a tents with you, of course, uh, I would assume, and you should choose out of that a hospital tent, put it on the periphery of the camp, and uh, the, these are important decisions that you should be making before things go bad. I mean, that's important. Otherwise, uh, think about it. it. If you have a group of people that are going to, let's say you are worried about, you know, survival and things like that, and you have a bunch of people that are going to be coming to your home or are going to be bugging, you're going to be bugging out with them. If you haven't picked a tent that's going to be the sick room or a room in the retreat that's going to be the sick room, well, you're probably going to be kicking somebody out of their room or somebody out of their tent. And you can expect a lot of resentment at a time when everyone needs to pull together to survive. That's why you must decide these things well in advance. You don't have to have it put together necessarily you just have to know what's going on where you're going to put the sick people and make sure it's not a place that somebody expects to be their room or their tent now if you don't have a spare room or tent then you're going to have to make do with some kind of makeshift barrier even a sheet of plastic to separate sick people from healthy people especially people that are coughing you want to make sure that 
you don't have that, the, the droplets from that wind up in the air of common areas. I mean, even if you have a dedicated sick room, you always want to keep the injured group members. Let's say you're in a hostile situation, you get people that wind up getting injured or, or there are falls because you're, they're, you're in very rugged terrain. You want people that have injuries separate from people that have infectious diseases, like let's say the flu, right? You don't want you want people that are wounded not to be with people that are ill. That's that's very important because you'll wind up getting everybody ill in that circumstance. Now, if you're staying in place, your sick rooms, air conditioning ducts, remember they're probably going to be close to useless in a power down situation, so you might want to cover them with duct tape so that you don't pose a risk to the rest of your group from uh, all these microbes going through the duct system. Uh, you want to keep uh, the hospital tent or the uh, room, the uh, sick room with the windows open or the tent flaps uh, open. That's very important. Of course, you know, in inclement weather, you certainly want to close them, but uh, whenever possible, you want to have as much ventilation as, uh, as, as much as you possibly can. Uh, furnishings, well, they should be pretty minimal. You should have a work surface for you, an exam air, an examination area where you can check people out, and you want to have bed spaces, depending on the number of people you have. It may depend uh, on the number of uh, the amount of space that you need and the number of beds or cots that you would need. Uh, cloth surfaces, if you have upholstered furniture, carpets, things like that, remember these can harbor disease-causing organisms. You should avoid them if you can. So try to have bare floors. You want to have uh, the furniture be pretty Spartan stuff. You know, Right. Do you, you know what? You should avoid, and I know this because I had allergies. I have allergies, but as a kid, my mother knew this. Um, no ceiling fan because that moves dust and obviously germs around, but you want solid surfaces. So think something glass- um, something laminated, something super easy to clean. You want to make sure that your your bed mattress is covered in a waterproof cover so you can wipe it down very easily. So if the person happens to leak any fluids from anywhere, that it doesn't absorb into the mattress so that the mattress is not ruined for possibly the next person. Um, the same kind of thing with the pillows. You want to make sure that you have a pillowcase on it that can be washed, but that the pillow is in a plastic zippered case. Right, and it should Some, be... you know, waterproof things. You want everything easy to wipe down, easy surfaces, nothing that has cloth or material that you can't take off and clean. So when you take out all the cloth, the sheets and the pillowcases, uh, towels that there really should be nothing but solid surfaces that can be cleaned in there. Exactly. From top to bottom. Exactly. And also the bedding, the utensils that a person uses should be dedicated to them and shouldn't be used, shouldn't wash them with the other stuff exactly. from healthy people. Exactly. And everything needs to be separate from that standpoint. And it's I think that the um, bleach solution that you use, the um, one to... 10, 10 would be solution, good. Mm -hmm. a 10% bleach solution, um, is not a bad idea for the eating utensils also. The plates and the cups and the s spoons and the forks and the knives. After you've 
scrubbed them and washed them, gotten all of the food substance off, give them a soak in that bleach for a little yes. while. And then you can rinse them with regular water. But that's sort of a, you know, like a, I don't want to call it sterilizing, but, you know, you're, you're killing most things by yes. doing that. And then give them a rinse with water because you don't want to have bleach-covered plates yeah. <laughs> for your patient. That won't make them feel m- much better. Right. <laughs> you can't cure them with bleach. Exactly. Right. And the same thing when you're wiping down the inside of it. Um, you know, be careful with those strong smells if the patient's still in there. Yeah, they really can be overcome by that pretty pretty easily, especially if they're not doing well. Uh, you, sh- you should have a station near the entrance of the room or the hospital tent for so you can have masks and gloves uh, if in really bad cases gowns and aprons right these will be very helpful maybe a basin with some soap and water or some other disinfectant kept for exclusive use by the medic by the people that are going to be caring for the person by the way there should be only one person involved in caring for those with contagious illnesses unless you have a lot of supplies and a lot of people so that's something that you really should have one person that's in charge of taking care of that person and, and being exposed. Uh, for supplies, you want plenty of masks and gloves. Uh, gowns can be commercially made plastic coveralls, full body aprons, or, or even, gosh, dry cleaning clothes covers in the in really in austere a pinch. situations. Yeah, in a pinch, in a pinch, right? right. Many people consider medical supplies to consist of gauze tourniquets and battle dressings, but you ha- have sets of sheets, towels, pillows, other items that can be used in, in the sick room. And these really are sort of medical supplies too. And if you have maybe a, co- a couple of old sets you might want to keep separate uh, from the others, that wouldn't be a bad idea. Now, all this may seem excessive to you, but you never have enough dedicated medical supplies. You, know, you might save the life of a loved one or even your entire group. If you're diligent in putting together your medical storage. That is very, very important. Uh, one additional item I just want to say right at the end that's going to be important to sick room patients is to give them a noisemaker of some sort to allow them to alert you when they need help. I mean, they may not be near where everybody else is, so this will decrease anxiety, give them confidence that you know that they are in trouble and they need your help. That's all the time we have for this week. We thank everybody for listening to this episode of Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Olton.